There was one prayer request that I did choose to exclude. I was sitting at my desk uh, on Wednesday afternoon, and uh, uh, Teresa didn't really agree with Sean's uh, method of treating himself, and so she asked, Pastor Mike, will you pray for me? Sean's being stupid. (laughs) And so I did, because I understand how stupid Sean can be. (laughs) But anyway... John chapter 15, starting at verse 1, Jesus continues on in his lessons even the evening before he's about to go to the cross. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, You will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. The most frustrating thing that I've experienced through some Christian teachings, retreats, conferences, seminars, whatever they might be, they'll tell you what to do, but a lot of times they don't really tell you how to do it, how to accomplish what their subject is. If the Bible or a teaching that is based upon it is not practical, if it is not doable, then it's really useless. And again, the Lord's preparing his disciples, his apostles, to go out and to change the world. And he didn't say, just say, go out and change the world. He's teaching them, he's showing them, he's instructing them in how to do it. And again, this is the crescendo of his teachings as he is about to leave their presence. And so just as Jesus said that the church will do greater works than he did, that what we ask, that he will do, what we ask in prayer, and that he will be sending us a helper, the Holy Spirit, and now we see, or we've seen, the reason for these things. We know it's for the purpose of fulfilling his great commission. This is the fruit of what he speaks. Everything we do in our spiritual lives is for fulfilling the great commission. It's to see that people are brought into the kingdom of heaven and grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's for no other purpose than to see men and women saved and their eternity sealed in the Lord. And so if we're not exercising the things that the Lord has told us, the things we see in the word of God for that purpose, then we're just some sort of wild branch. We're not connected to the vine. And as Jesus said in verse 5, without me, if you're not connected to that trunk, without me, you can do nothing. You can do, not do anything of any spiritual significance that would lead towards that fulfillment of the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 18 through 19, Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Where did he get that authority? Well, keep in mind, this is the Lord's appearance after the crucifixion. It's because Christ paid the price for all of humanity. Because of that, he says, because I've done that, 
Verse 19, go, and we know that term go means as you go about your Christian lives, as you go into the workplace, as you go into the neighborhood, the PTA, out on the sports field, wherever it is that people go, go therefore, go because of that, because of the cross, and make disciples, make learners of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, immersing them in the knowledge of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So, there are so many. So many sit with nowhere to go, knowing what to do and not knowing how to do it. I know that I have the potential to do greater works, but then you can wonder, where do I start? Now, we saw those greater works, or greater works in relationship to salvation. Peter, we saw that in Peter. We looked at Acts chapter 2. Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. He stands up and he speaks a sermon, and 3,000 people get saved. Then, the next time, in chapter 3, he stands up, preaches another sermon, and 5,000 people get saved. And so, Peter, we're seeing these greater works come to pass, as Jesus said that they would, but we can look at ourselves, well, I want to do greater works as well. Well, I've got to I've got to understand, what was the change that was made in Peter's life? Well, the change that was made in Peter's life, because again, in the Gospels, he's always saying something silly, but now this is a man who is filled with the Spirit. I've got to be filled with the Spirit. But if you look at chapter 1, in Acts, Acts chapter 1, just before Acts chapter 2, just before the filling of the Holy Spirit, what was Peter doing? He was spending time in God's Word. And so he was prepared through the Word of God and now he's empowered by the Holy Spirit, and then we see the greater works. And so, if I'm not immersing myself in God's Word, if I'm not filled with the Holy Spirit, then I'm not going to see those great works come to pass. And so, I know what to do, but that's how that's accomplished. I know that Jesus will answer prayer that is according to his will, but how do I know what his will is? Well, first, you need to ask him what the will is. And then, to the best of your ability, or the best of your understanding, I guess I should say, you need to move forward in what that will is. Now, we're told in the Gospel of Mark that it speaks of people drinking poison and being bit by snakes and, and, and them not being harmed by such things. And, and people have taken this doctrine of handling snakes and doing all kinds of silly, stupid things. But what Jesus is saying is, as you're going out on the mission field, and you run into these times of trouble, I'm going to protect you in the midst of those things. And really, that's part of the Great Commission as it's presented in the Gospel of Mark. And the Lord is saying that I'll go before you, and, and, and I'll enable you in these things. So how much more so if I'm moving forward in my Christian life, as I'm stretching and striving in what I believe that I know what God has called me to do, that as I pray to the Lord, that's when I'm going to see answered prayer. And so we have somebody who hasn't been saved for very long ask that the Lord would bring the cat home. And then the cat comes home. And really what that person and what we all need to see in that is God answers prayer. And so start off in the little things and start moving in the bigger things and realize in the glory of God as I'm moving forward. If you're staying static and you're asking God pray or reveal your will to me, but you're not making forth any kind of effort, putting forth any kind of effort, you're just not going to see it. But as we move forward, God will enable us and reveal himself to us. We know that the Holy Spirit is in us, and he's able to use us, but how do we make that first step when it comes to the Holy Spirit? 
Well, again, it's releasing yourself to the Holy Spirit. And what I mean by that is, is having a mindset to be led by him. Seeing people as the Lord sees people, see people who are, who are lost, see people who need Jesus Christ, and, and, and understanding that is, as I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, I'm able to do things according to his power, and again, not my flesh. Because who's the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is God. As the Holy Spirit is God, that means he's not a, an it. And we'll refer to him, I've probably done it, referred to him as an it. Or he, He's a person. And so that means that he's not a power. He's the Holy Spirit who will empower us for the work that God has called us to do. And so as you see that person who is hurting, you see that person who is lost, and you develop an opportunity, and I said develop an opportunity, you're not probably going to walk by him. He's going to say, what must I do to be saved? You have to develop that through a conversation and build a bridge between you, but then you have an opportunity with the gospel, and as you take that opportunity, it's then that you're going to see the Holy Spirit work through you. And so Jesus in chapter 14, the last part of verse 31 says, Arise, let us go from here. He's preparing to go on his journey to the Garden of Gethsemane, but they didn't quite leave at that time. There was still some teaching to be done, and so really chapter 15 is where we go from, from chapters 13 and 14, the teaching there, and now we see that the things that the Lord has taught them, they must be connected to Jesus Christ throughout the duration of their lives and their ministries here on earth. And so I can do a good thing or I can do a good thing in Christ. The good thing in Christ is going to bear fruit. The good thing that I do, because any person who just walks this earth, I can do a good thing. I'm sure Adolf Hitler did a good thing at some point in his life somewhere, or Charles Manson or whatever had absolutely no spiritual significance whatsoever. But I want to do not just good things, but I want to do the things that are of the Lord. And the only way I can do the things of the Lord is by being connected to that vine. And so Jesus says in verse 1 of chapter 15, I am the true vine. Many vines out there, but I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Now this is a parable, obviously, and whenever the Lord gives a parable, which is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, it's important to define the terms in order to gain his desired understanding. We must know what the terms are to truly get the lesson from it. Now, I would imagine they were, well, they were just celebrating the Passover. I don't know if the illustration was the wine that they had drank from or they were on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane and they passed a, a vineyard, whatever it might be. But nonetheless, they would be well acquainted of what he is talking about. So the first thing that Jesus says is, I am the true vine. Now, this is the last of the seven I am statements that are listed in the Gospel of John. Now, each one of those seven statements speaks emphatically of Christ's relationship to us. When he says, I am, he is doing so for the benefit that we know how God is relating to us. The first one was, I am the bread of life. Jesus is what is necessary for our spiritual nourishment to be able to receive what God has for us. It's only through Christ that we are able to accomplish that. Jesus then said, 
I am the light of the world, that Jesus is the only way in this life that I can find true enlightenment. And what I mean is to find the answers for the meaning of life, to find out truly, is there a God who exists and what are his thoughts towards me? The only way that we can be enlightened in these things, in this dark life, is through Jesus Christ. Next, he said, I am the door. Jesus is the only entrance into God's kingdom. There is the broad way, but the broad way is the way that leads to destruction. There's many sins, there's many ways, many people to follow that will lead you to eternity apart from God. But as far as bringing you to God, Jesus is the door. He is the only way. Next, he says, I am the good shepherd. He is the only one counted faithful in our daily lives to care for us, to protect us, to guide us, and to lead us. He then said, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus is the only way that we will be resurrected and we will have new life. There is no other way that man could accomplish that. And there you have the perfect illustration because once you're dead, what are you able to do for yourself? You're dependent upon somebody else. And that person that we are dependent upon is able to deliver us. It's the Lord. I am the way, and this speaks for itself, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And we saw that that means I am the one and only way, I am the one and only truth, and I am the one and only life. And now he says, I am the true vine. He is the trunk that all true believers are attached to. The only means by which we will be able to fulfill that great commission or the only means by which we will be able to bear fruit. Apart from Christ, again, verse 5, you will be able to do nothing, nothing of any significance in the eyes of the Lord. Jesus calls himself the true vine because there are so many other imitations. So many other imitations, and there's nothing worse than being fooled. There's nothing worse than being frauded. A friend of mine bought a golf club, and he bought a name-brand golf club. And he used it for a while, but it just wasn't living up to what he thought it would be. And so he went into, he bought it on, on eBay. And so he went into a, a golf shop and was talking to the guy. And the guy said, well, let me see your golf club. And he showed him the golf club. He goes, where'd you get this? And he goes, I got it on eBay. And he goes, well, this is a, this is a forgery. It wasn't the real thing. He paid for the real thing. He thought he was getting the real thing. But since he didn't get the real thing, it wasn't producing the results that he desired. And again, there's so many people out there that will claim to be the real thing. That they'll, they'll, they'll inspire you, they'll, they'll lead you, and they'll direct you. But apart from Christ, again, they're not going to be able to do anything at all as well. And then we have that picture of Israel that's presented in the book of Isaiah as a vineyard in chapter 5 of Isaiah, verse 1, it says, Now let me sing to my well-beloved a song to my beloved regarding his vineyard. My well-beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. He dug it up and cleared out its stones and planted it with the choice vine. He built a tower in its midst. He also made a wine press in it, so he expected it to bring forth good grapes but it brought forth wild grapes. So he did everything that was necessary to see that this vine produced. Verse 3, And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, please, between me and my vineyard. 
What could have been, what more could have been done for my vineyard? What have I not done in it? Why then, when I expected it to bring forth good grapes, did it bring forth wild grapes? And now, please let me tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, its protection, and it shall be burned. See a parallel with what we read in John. And break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will lay it waste. It shall not be pruned or dug, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain on it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant plant. He looked for justice, but behold, oppression, for righteousness, but behold, a cry for help. And so you've got this vine that had every opportunity in the world to be able to thrive, but what was the problem? He he set the stage for them to to thrive. Here's Jesus Christ. He, He came and he walked amongst them. His apostles, he went out in all of Jerusalem for the purpose of making disciples, but Israel, Israel as a whole, but Israel rejected their Messiah. They weren't attached to the vine, the true vine. Now, they were attached to another vine, and that was the Jewish religious worship system, which was basically a hybrid between the Word of God on the Old Testament and their traditions. They were attached to that, but if you're attached to that, you're not going to achieve anything for the Lord. And so what we see in Isaiah chapter 5 that was written about, I believe it was around 600 B.C., you see that prophecy has come to pass throughout the ages. You see, as God, as they were of no use to God, God took his hand of protection off of Israel. He hasn't quit with Israel, but he's taken his hand of protection off of Israel. Whenever you doubt the existence of God in your life, just look to Israel. Because all of the prophecies that have been spoken of Israel, not all of them have come to pass, but a lot of them have come to pass. And the thing about it is, you see that little insignificant nation in that part of the world that desires to wipe them off the map. We see it on the news all of the time. Uh, there was uh, Hamas was just firing missiles from Egypt into Israel. And um, you see this just constantly. And what in the world is, is enabling these people to even exist? Matter of fact, I think it was just like what? The, the first war that they experienced was about a week after they were in existence and they were attacked from all sides, surprise attack. But time after time after time, they've been able to prevail. Why? Because God has plans for Israel. He's got end-time plans for Israel. And so you have Israel during the time of Christ, after the time of Christ, about 70 AD. They cease to exist as a nation. For close to 2,000 years, they don't exist. There's the Jews, but they're dispersed all over the world. But then, what does God do? 1948, he brings them back together. You need to see the hand of God in that. Because there was that time of 2,000 years when they didn't exist as a nation. The church has a problem. How do we define end-time theology without the existence of Israel? Because as I look in my Bible, there's Israel during the end times. And so man kind of went in some different ways, not having faith in what God was able to do. But again, God reestablished Israel. And we know, because of Romans chapter 11 and reading the book of Revelation, at some point they are going to be attached to that true vine. And as they attach to that true vine, there's that 144,000, then they're going to start bearing fruit. Apart from Jesus Christ, which they have rejected as a nation, Christ for all these thousands of years, they could do absolutely nothing. Now again, think of that. They have God's word, the Old Testament, but they never saw the fulfillment of God's word to attach them to that which would enable them 
for God's plans and God's purposes. There's plenty of non-vines out there today that seem to be something that is useful, but in actuality are not. There's nobody that is right before God or can do the works of God apart from Jesus Christ being the center. And so if you have a church that Christ is not the Word of God, Jesus Christ through the Word of God is not the center, it's not going to be able to achieve anything. You have a dynamic pastor, but if he's not connected to Christ through the Word of God, he's not going to be able to achieve anything. You could have churches that have the multitudes, but if they're not connected to Jesus Christ through the Word of God, they're not going to be able to to achieve anything in the sight of the Lord. Secondly, verse 2, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Next we see this gardener or this vine dresser. Now Yahweh, the Father, and Messiah, they're always working together. What is it that they're working together to do? They're working together in the body of Christ because we can so easily be these branches that just start growing off in weird directions. And so we've always got to be funneled and we always got to be directed in the proper place. Here the vine dresser is the father. Now we see in the Hebrews, I'm not going to turn there, but in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 11, it speaks of the way that God disciplines us to keep us going in the right direction. Now discipline, what is it and what are we talking about here? Well, again, this is the direction of God. As God brings hardship, trials, and difficulties into our lives, as we move off in the wrong direction, it's always for the purpose of getting us back to where we need to be. And as a pastor, I see quite a few people that have gone off in those directions, and I've seen some of the things that they've suffered. And it's, it, it's, it, 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 it's life-encompassing, the, the trials that they go through. Uh, I, I can't tell you how many people that we're taking God for granted, taking their Christian lives for granted, just living according to their own way, and just have gone off in a weird direction, and then God has brought some hardship into their lives. But the thing about it is, I've seen them, they come back. They come back to where they need to be. And you just see the spirit that is, and I say broken spirit, but I mean that in a good way. And I'm talking about the spirit of the flesh within them or their personalities. They've been a broken person coming back into God's kingdom. And it's why they're asking, what do I, they're asking me, what do, I, what do I need to do? Because what that tells me is, isn't that they have to come to Pastor Mike, but they want to come to Christ. And w- what's the way back to the Lord Jesus Christ? And it's an amazing thing. As we look through the scriptures and we see how God blesses us and how God wants to and desires to bless us, but he won't bless us according to our terms. And what do we keep doing? We keep living life according to our terms. We keep the mindset of, well, you know what I think? I mean, can you imagine one of us standing before God and saying, you know what I think? (laughs) That's silly. It's insane is what it is. And so what this is, is this is the vine dresser as he's accomplishing the task that is necessary for the purpose of the church, of the vines bearing fruit, at least the individuals. How does he accomplish it? And again in verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Now, you can look at this verse and say, well, if a branch bears no fruit, it's lopped off and it's thrown away. Does this mean that if a Christian doesn't bear fruit, he's lost his salvation? And I've heard this time after time after time. 
you get people with their pet peeves in, in the body of Christ. Now, what their pet peeve is within itself may be a good thing. Let's just say it's communion. You know, so-and-so, I've, never, I've noticed, so-and-so never shows up for communion. Well, what difference does that make? I mean, that's between them and the Lord. Well, you know what? I don't even think they're saved. Well, that's not a salvation issue. And we can start making all these salvation issues with our little pet peeves and whatever it might be. See, God is talking to believers here. And, and, and what God desires from the believer is, is that the believer would be ministered to, the believer would be cared for, and through that ministry and through that care, that they would be able to bear fruit, that they would come to the desired place that they would be. Yeah, there's going to be some hard things maybe that needs to be done, but, but if we just started breaking off branches because people didn't live up to our expectations, again, the church would be a pretty empty place. And so the context here is the Father's care for the plant for the purpose of further growth, of doing what is necessary for further growth. And so you look at that term, takes away. Mine even has a little asterisk next to it that you would refer down to the bottom of the Bible. It's the Greek word areo. And really what it means is, in a better translation here, would be he lifts up. He lifts up. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he lifts up. Well, this would make sense if you know a little something about vineyards, which I know very little, but I've done a little bit of studying. If you drive through, you can't really drive through the vineyards around here anymore. They're pretty much all going away. But if you just kind of picture the vineyards in your life as you would drive past them, you would see the vines. And the small ones, you would see the little seedlings that are sprouting and whatnot. But then you would see them as they start to, as they start to spread out. You would notice there's poles there, and the poles were, are wired together. And all of those vineyards, they have the great plants, the great vines, and they're all up off the ground. Because what happens if you just have a, a grapevine that, that's laying on the ground, especially when we have a season like we're having now with the rains? What happens with the fruit? It's rotten. And, and when that happens, the vine starts to rot. And when the vine starts to rot, it's not a healthy vine. And what happens to that vine? It's not going to bear any fruit, and it's not going to achieve the purpose of the vine dressers. And so the vine dressers, in his tender care, he goes and he lifts up the branches and the purpose of lifting up the branches are for the spiritual health of the tree. And what's the necessity for spiritual health is to bear fruit. And so God's going to do what is necessary in our lives. He's going to do what is necessary in our lives to get us to that place that we will be able to bear fruit. It's going to be that care that he takes in our life. James 4.10, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. And God lifts us up for his plans and his purposes. And it's always for a good thing. Another thing that the vine dresser does is he prunes the branches. Now, through my research, I found out for the first three years of the life of a vineyard, or at least a vine, it will be pruned three years straight for the purpose of coming back stronger and being able to produce. I'm really... I'm really praying this year for the apricot tree. I got the apricot tree and the peach tree right next to me, and they're in cahoots together as far as not producing. But they're both young. They're both young, and it was about a month ago I was looking, I'm thinking, those babies need to be pruned back. So I went out there and I pruned and I cut and I cut and I pruned. 
Now, the purpose for doing that is, isn't because I'm getting revenge on them for not producing fruit. The purpose is, is so that they would be healthy. They would come back stronger and that eventually I would be able to partake of the fruit that they produce. This is the removing of anything detriment, detrimental to a fruitful harvest. Now, if you've been a born-again believer for any, any time whatsoever, you should be able to give testimony towards this. How many things has God pruned out of your life? How many things has God taken out of your life that in hindsight, maybe even foresight, but nonetheless, that thing that he had taken out, that he had pruned out of your life, was detrimental to you bearing fruit. I, I can lend testimony to that from the day of my salvation through to today. There are certain things that I had partaken in that God says, eh, we're, we're going to cut that out of your life. Now, there were some things that he cut off, he pruned, and he threw aside, and he wasn't looking. I came, and I tried to graft them back on, but it never took, it, it never worked. God always won in that, and he's uh, faithful. He'll, he'll take just as long as, as necessary. And so if a plant grows too quickly, he prunes it back. In 1 Timothy 3.6, not a novice being puffed up with pride, lest he fall in the same condemnation as a devil. God will wants us to move forward, but will move forward at his pace. And so we have to have eyes and ears for the direction of the Lord. If there's any harmful growth, well, my peach tree, my wife says, you need to go out there and trim that peach tree. Look what's growing out of the base. They call them suckers. They're just these little wild branches that grow out of the base, and what they do is they suck the nutrients before it can get up into the fruit-bearing branches. And so, how many suckers have you had in your life? Those things that have kind of just sucked out, what, well, the, your energy or your effort or your abilities to be used by the Lord. The Lord will cut those out. 2 Corinthians 4.16, Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing or being pruned, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. As I'm getting rid of those things, then I'm being nourished inside for, again, God's purposes. This is the removal of bad habits. Priorities are reordered, reordered and values are changed. Why? That we may not only bear fruit, but you would bear more fruit. When my apricot tree, this, this is the second one we've had. When the original one bore fruit, we had grocery bag after grocery bag after grocery bag. My favorite thing to do would be to go and to cut each apricot in half, take the pit out, and to freeze them. And that way I can enjoy them for another, well, I'd probably eat them in a week anyway, but nonetheless, you know, just that so much fruit and just to have that bountiful harvest. What's the fruit that we're talking about? Basically, I'll go in a little bit deeper, but qualities of Christian character. Qualities of Christian character so that when people see you, when they see your ministry, whatever it might be, they won't say, well, there's his ministry, but when they see you, they would recognize something different about you. We know that they would recognize Christ in you. Romans 6.22, But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end to everlasting life. Philippians 1.10-11, That you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense to the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory of the praise of God. 
And as you are filled with the fruits of righteousness, those aren't fruits that you've been filled with for you to partake of, but that others would come and partake of the fruit that you produce. And so you have somebody producing fruit right now out in the the parking lot, watching over the cars, greeting you as you came in. It's the fruit of his ministry. You have fellowship. It's the fruit of ministry. Hopefully you didn't see somebody over there standing in the corner talking to themselves. No, it's, it's reaching out and talking to one another. That, that, that's bearing fruit and partaking of fruit. The worship team, to be able to partake of the fruit that was produced through that team. Now through the teaching of God's word, um, the hospitality, and so on and so forth. Jesus then says in John chapter 15, verse 3, You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. So notice what he's doing. He's reconfirming salvation. He's reconfirming salvation because you can misinterpret what pruning might be. Are people being pruned off and losing their salvation? No. You're already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. He's speaking of their salvation. And now he's going to say a few more things that are kind of hard to hear, but we have to understand that the context is he's speaking to believers for the purpose of producing more fruit. And so it's a reminder that salvation is not the issue, but obedience to God is. Not a threat but an encouragement. Verse 4, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Jesus is saying that there is to be evidence through you of a life in me. As we abide in him, Christ is displayed through us. So, it's pretty key. What does it mean to abide or to live or to dwell in Christ? Well, again, a little list. It's not all inclusive, but I've got to have fellowship. Fellowship, it keeps me accountable. Fellowship, it keeps me sharp. I'm able to converse with born-again believers, and you need to be able to converse with born-again believers before you can converse with people who aren't saved. And so it brings me in and it brings me of the mindset of what my speech is. It brings me in the mindset of of discussing God's word and the things of God's word. My wife was talking to one of the small group leaders and they were saying just what a blessing the discussions have been this year in the women's small groups. So I've got to be involved in fellowship. Now I'm not talking about sitting in the sanctuary yet so much, but I've got to be involved in that. Secondly, you have to be involved in the word of God because if you're not in in the word of God, then you're obviously not abiding in Christ. You're not prepared for any good work. You must be in prayer. You've got to have those lines of communication open between you and your God. You've got to be serving because anybody who doesn't serve, you just atrophy. You're not exercising your spiritual gifting, and a spiritual gifting that's not exercised will soon become weak. And then you have to be worshiping. Worshiping always reminds us of the holiness of God or the holiness of the God that we serve. It always brings us to that point of recognizing that we serve a God who has done so much and is deserving of our worship. All this has to do with the molding of our will, our choices, and our decisions to the Lord. Verse 6, If anyone does not abide in me, if you're not partaking in those things, (coughs) excuse me, He is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. 
unless a branch is cast out, unless it is withered, it's never really going to, at least, at least that potential is there, is never going to understand the importance of staying connected to Christ. Now, this branch is still a branch. And again, it's not speaking of losing salvation. A branch of the vine is the only one that can truly bear fruit. But if you have a branch that is not bearing fruit, what else can it be good for? Well, the wood that comes from a vineyard is not good for construction. Nothing is made. You can do carvings out of it, but that's pretty much about it. So it's not good for building anything. It's not even good for a fire because it dries out very quickly and it will have a a, a sudden flash of flame and then there will be nothing there. So you're not going to be able to do any kind of constant cooking through it. And so the idea was, if it's not bearing fruit, it's just simply not good for anything else. And a Christian who's not bearing fruit is just not useful for the master. So what is he going to do? He's going to throw you into the fire. That's the fire of testings and the fire of trials, not the fire of hell. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And so he's going to throw us into the fire. And Now, it's one thing to go through the fire as you're going through trials and tribulations in your Christian life. That's something that's common to us all. But it's when you're sitting in the midst of the fire and you realize that the reason that I'm in the fire is because I haven't been inviting in the Lord. Because, you know, I I used to go to fellowship all the time. I used to spend time in the Word every day. I used to constantly pray. I used to be serving, and I used to worship Him, and I'm just not really doing those things anymore. And maybe you're involved in those things, but you're not really doing those things. Maybe those things become a habit that you're not really focused upon the Lord anymore, and so He's thrown you into the fire. He's thrown you into that place that is going to cause you to understand and to realize, just like the prodigal son, where did he come to his senses? He came to his senses as he's sitting in the mud eating pig pods. He's allowing us to go through that place for the purpose, once again, of restoration. Verses 7 and 8, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. So, it's not, okay, abide in me and you get whatever you want. As you're abiding in the Lord, you're going to understand what the Lord desires. And your desires will be His desires. And that's where we see that God will answer prayer and He will go before you. And so as you're abiding in the Lord, then your desires are going to be to make disciples. And then you're going to see God use you to bear fruit in the lives of others through that um, through being connected to that main trunk. Verse 8, But this, my father, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. God wants you to bear fruit. Man, I've never really been used by the Lord to lead anybody to the Lord. Well, God wants you to do that. And so you've got to ask, if you've never been used in anybody else's life, or even a fellow believer's life, to see them encouraged, you've got to ask yourself, am I really connected to the vine? Or have I become isolated? Or really, have I been kind of thrown out into the fire because I haven't been faithful to what God has called me to be? And so we've got to examine our lives. We've got to know these things, and we have to realize these things because we want to be used for God's things. Now I'm going to close just with an obvious verse, the fruit of the Spirit in the book of Galatians. Now the fruit of the Spirit are the things that are going to be produced through a born-again believer's life as they are filled with the Holy Spirit. 
And again, these things are things that are designed not for you to partake of out of your own life, but that others may be able to partake and influence or impact that you're able to have in somebody else's life. In uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, it's joy, it's peace, it's long-suffering, it's kindness, it's goodness, it's faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It, it's these things, these things that are produced so that people are able to come and partake of love. Why? Because the world loves just what they're able to get out of people. We love so that we can implement into the lives of people. Joy, there's very little joy out there in our society today. It seems like you turn on the news and there's anything but joy. Peace, we do not live in peaceful times, not even in this nation any longer. Long-suffering. I mean, just think of people who are hard to deal with, hard to get along with, and they're being rejected and rejected and rejected. And you have that person that enters into your life, because again, long-suffering isn't long-suffering unless you're suffering long. And that's that hard person, but that hard person that God wants you to have patience with into their lives for the purpose of seeing them grow. Kindness is basically an expression of somebody who is long-suffering. Goodness faithfulness to continue on and do it, gentleness to do it with the spirit that as you would have them do to yourself, and then self-control, that I'm giving of myself for the purpose of others. It's as we do these things, as we exhibit these things, that people are able to partake of our ministry, of what God has done in me, or what God has done in you, and they would be, spiritually speaking, the better off for it. Jesus is preparing his apostles for those things. And later on, they got it. They understood. And they changed the world. We have the opportunity to change at least a little piece of the world just through where we have influence if we're faithful in doing these things. Father, help us to be connected to that true vine. Help us to abide in Christ, Lord, that we would live for your glory and maybe even the salvation of somebody else. I pray, Father, as we are of the mindset of being others-orientated, that we would be willing to give of ourselves. God so loved the world that He gave. Christ understood the plan of the Father. He gave of Himself to be crucified. How much more so should we give of ourselves to the calls and the commands that You have given us so that, Lord, again, You would be glorified. Lord, this world so needs the fruit that we are able to produce. I pray, Father, that we would be people who produce much fruit, and because of that, we would see, Lord, our world changed. And so once again, we just thank you for this evening. We just pray. I pray for those who have come out tonight, Lord, that you would go before them, that you would protect them, that would travel safely, and God, you would use us. You would use us, and we would be well aware of the opportunities that you give, and Lord, we would embrace them, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you all stand, please? As Sean announced, I think he announced, I didn't hear it, but um, we have one more spot for the woman's retreat. So if there's anybody that wants to go or you know of anybody that you think may want to go, it would be a blessing to see that filled. Other than that, we are, you can keep me up in prayer. I'm teaching over at Calvary Chapel Chino Valley on Saturday night. They're having a... Uh, father's daughters thing so just keep me up in prayer again when i do stuff like that i'm an extension of our church and so i covet your prayers and uh sunday morning we're going through uh 
Psalms of the Cross. We looked at Psalm 22, the first half. We'll be looking at the second half this Sunday morning and Ecclesiastes Sunday night. God bless you guys.